0: Good morning. morning. You have a copy of the Word of God? Take one from the pew in front of you if you don't have it, and turn to Ephesians 1 if you would. I love hearing our elders pray. I I get to hear them all the time. We meet in the room right over there on Tuesday nights, um, and they pray, we pray for you, but it's just sweet to be here and to hear them praying for you and their concern for you. and I good for you to hear also um, a couple of weeks ago Matt pastor Matt was teaching and I sat right here on the first service and I wanted to hear him the second hour too so I sat over the Caroline and I sat over there and he was teaching through um, the middle part of we divided verses three through verse 14 into three parts because it's just too incredible intense and somewhat complicated and this long, Statement of Paul, remember it's 202 words in the Greek from verse 3 to verse 14 It's one long sentence And it's really all about the blessings of God that we have in Jesus Christ How God has chosen us and loved us and predestined us And how He has adopted us and how He has forgiven us and how He has redeemed us And how He has brought us to Himself and how He has placed us in Christ Christ and I was sitting in both services. I was listening to Matt, and and I could feel the preacher in him coming out. And and I knew he was he was he was agonizing as he was preaching this. That he was saying, "Do you see this? How incredible this is!" And. How this is a life-changing reality that this is this is something these are things that god has given to us that we did not earn and he was pleading with us to understand it and to grasp it and and to allow it to do its work in our life and i was listening to him and i was thinking to myself it's hard to understand i mean he's not hard to understand but the whole all the truth of it is hard to understand to get a hold of and i thought well, I, then i get to get up next sunday and talk some more. And I wonder if people, I wonder if I get this, and I wonder if Matt gets it, and I wonder if we get it. And I thought, when Paul wrote this, I wonder if he knew that how incredibly deep this is, and, and how amazing it is. And 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 chapter 1 is really divided into two parts There's like a brief greeting And then Paul launches into this long thing About our riches in Jesus Christ And then beginning the verses we're going to look at this morning From verse 15 to 23 By the way, which is another one long sentence 169 words in the Greek Where Paul just runs on With a whole bunch of phrase after phrase after phrase And, And Paul begins to pray in verse 15 Or he begins to tell the people that he's praying And I was thinking to myself Oh, we should learn from how Paul prays. And I thought to myself, I, I love you people, and I know that you have, you have the same kinds of burdens and concerns and things that pray, Pete was praying for you about, the same kind of heartache. You, when, you, when you get together in a small group or when you get together with somebody else and you pray and somebody says, Okay, what prayer requests do you have? And you start making a prayer list... You, you, do any, you do this? Yes. Please tell me you do this sometimes. So, so. but what is the tendency when somebody says something like, I don't know about you, but my, my tendency is to go to all the people that I know are physically hurting. People in the hospital, people who you know, have heart attacks, the people who have cancer, and the people who have concerns. And then, then the next tendency is the people who like broken relationships, people I know that are really heartbroken about something. And then there's financial concerns. And then uh, my mind tends to go to the physical stuff first and and so many times when we gather together in groups and we make those prayer lists we run out of time before we get you know to anything much deeper than the stuff you can see with your eyes and i was thinking about how will paul pray now after after talking about all those incredible things about our riches in christ how will paul pray and he prays at the end of chapter one here and then he does it again in chapter three and he does this incredible, deep kind of teaching, and it's just amazing. He tells the people he's praying for them, and then he tells them what he's praying for them for. And it is so different from what I tend to do. So I just want to say to you that we should learn here from Paul. We should know that these people in Ephesus had the same, they're the, they were people just like us. Different time, different culture, but they had all the same kind of hurts and problems and difficulties and struggles and fears and anxieties that you have and that I have. And they probably even had some more because of the time that they were living in. And my tendency is that I think to myself, well, there's a real serious problem here, so we better pray. And Paul apparently doesn't think like that. And he certainly doesn't go immediately, primarily to the physical kind of things. He doesn't. He doesn't talk first of all. In fact, as far as I can tell, in Ephesians, he doesn't pray for anything physical for them. He goes deeper, and what and the way in which I phrase this, like he's he's pleading with God that they would get it, that they would that they would get it, and he uses language like, "I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened, so that you may know." And when he's talking about knowing, it's not just talking about some intellectual facts, but but you will have this life-changing experience that your knowledge will be something that will actually change your life. Your identity about who you are will be changed, and you will see what it is that God has done for you. Because Paul knows the important critical reality is when you are facing the great difficulties of life or the anxieties or the money worries or, or the broken relationships or the hurts or the struggles in life, if you know who you are and what God has done for you, you stand. And he, by the time he gets to the end of Ephesians, he will talk about that. Stand firm then based upon what it is that you know God has done for you and walk in power. So I want to ask you, Think with me about how Paul prays and let us learn about how we should pray a little bit differently than we do. So by now you've found Ephesians 1. Let's read together verse 15 to verse 23. Would you stand with me and we will read this amazing place in the Word of God. Where Paul writes this, verse 15, Ephesians one, fifteen. For this reason, that is all the things that I've talked to you about, being in Christ... I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope of which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given not only in the present age but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under His feet, and appointed Him to be head over everything for the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. Thank you. You may be seated. So Paul's kind of praying. What an amazing prayer that is! And I want I want you to just to see because this is. How it is that he prays and what it is he actually writes to them And you can imagine these people hearing this for the first time When somebody unrolls the, the parchment And he begin, and begins reading what it is that Paul is actually writing to them I put in your notes the first thing he does He's thanking God for their faith and their love He tells them that he's praying for them And he thanks God for their that he's heard about their faith and their love And these are the two crucial symptoms, if you will, if you will of real Christianity Faith And love. Faith and love. That I believe and I love. Sometimes I believe that I'm not very loving. Other times I'm loving, but I'm not really believing. Faith and love, both of them, and he's, Paul's heard about them and their faith and love, and so he encourages them with this word. It's so good when you tell somebody you're praying for them that you say a word of encouragement to them that you understand that they are, they're struggling to follow Christ, and you're, you're going to pray with them to help them to grow stronger. And, and then in a few verses he's going to talk about hope. So here we have it again. Faith and love and hope. Some of you might think, well, this, is, this sounds like the church vision statement. You know, It's our desire to be people of faith and love and hope. And that's exactly right. Some, sometimes you might think, well, we just pulled that out of the air somewhere. We didn't actually pull it out of the air. We pulled it right out of the Scripture. There's something like ten times in the New Testament where the writers put together faith and love and hope. This, these, are the, these are the realities of being a follower of Christ. Being a person, a man or a woman of faith and love and hope. So these people were already well known for their faith and their love. And now Paul is praying. I put in your notes, he's asking God for more for them. More wisdom, revelation, and enlightenment. Those are words that we don't use a lot. Verse 17, I keep asking. He's telling them that I'm praying for you and I keep praying for you. That's another thing. Do you have anybody in your life who tells you, I pray for you every day? There's a few saints here who have told me over the years, you know, I pray for you and Carolyn every day. It just boggles me. I just... How do you feel when somebody tells you, I'm praying for you? You think, hey, you must think I'm really needy. I don't need you praying for me. (laughs) Do you do that? Or do you think, wow, how sweet is that? Would you pray for me every hour? Because, I mean... But when, you, when somebody prays for you, you know that there's a love there. There's something there that only God can do. There's, that's a kind of commitment that... So don't tell people you're praying for them if you're not really going to do it. But how sweet it is when somebody says, I, I pray for you. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, or the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. What Paul is saying is, I know that you have faith and you have love, and I'm asking God for more now. If you knew a people, if you knew a church that was really strong in faith and really strong in love, the tendency would be to think, well, we don't need to pray for them. Right? They've sort of got it all together. Paul knows, oh no, a faith that is, a church that is strong is also a church that's very vulnerable. And whatever it is that God has done among us, God could do so much more. Somebody said to me standing right out there and just a few minutes ago he's, he said this church is just amazing you know it's it's so loving and God is doing so many wonderful things here and my heart split right in half at that moment you know it was like oh how wonderful is that that they think that and believe that and on the other hand i think how far do we have yet to go do you understand what i'm saying to you i mean it's just like Praise God and, oh, more, more. That's what Paul's doing now. He's saying, you have it, and now, now I am praying for you that you may know him better. Now, let me just pause with the word about the word know here, because the word know is, is difficult for us. There's just one English word for know or knowledge, but in the Greek there's like four or five different words that have to do with knowing, and it's everything from an intellectual kind of I know about the facts. There's, this is a pulpit. Um, I know something, you know, all the way over to the other far extreme is the idea of a knowledge of intimacy in deep relationship. The Old Testament even uses it in a very interesting way. Adam knew his wife, Eve, and she conceived. That's a different kind of know. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Knowledge to know is, is a, has a wide range of understanding. Paul is not saying I'm, I'm praying so that you will have some more facts and be able to file them away and have some cool notes and you know that you'll just know some stuff and be able to repeat it. He's saying, I'm praying that you will know it. Know it. I mean, there's some things that you know, and there's some things that you really know. You understand what I'm saying to you? This confusing. So Paul's praying, I'm praying that you're really going to know. Jesus said it like this in John 17, 3. He prays to his father, he says, Father, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. He didn't at all mean that you just know that Jesus is and that there is a God, but that you know him. For so many of my so many years of my life I knew that I was forgiven. And and in, in recent years I've realized I'm forgiven. And I'm in Christ. And He knew me before I was born. And He reached down and called me and brought me to Himself. That He did not give up on me when I had given up on Him. He chose me and adopted me and forgave and is forgiving. He brought me to Himself. He redeemed me. He placed me in His Son so that when He looks at me, He regards me as in His own righteous Son. I'm still trying to grasp this. I know it. I'm still trying to know it. He's saying, I'm praying that you will know more wisdom. God's gotta give this to you. This is gonna to have to be something of the Spirit of God in your spirit. Has this ever happened to you? Where you've just, you're going along and you know something and then BAM, you know it. It's like, God did something. You're not even sure what it ha- what it was, but it was like, you ever seen that cartoon thing where their little bubble over their head is there's a light bulb? Right? It was like the light went on. And you saw it, it was you were enlightened. Verse eighteen. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know enlighten the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. One of the problems we have when we read the Bible is we just read, you know, we just re- and you need to read big chunks of it, and that's good. That God gives you certain things when you just read big chunks of the Word of God. But if you're like me, you read along, and, and, and I trip on a phrase like that. The eyes of your heart. What is that? And then you do a little homework, you know, and you find out what other ways in the Word of God is the phrase eyes of your heart being enlightened you. Well, it's nowhere else in the Bible. Well, what about Greek literature? The eyes of your heart being enlightened. There's no... Paul created this one. He made it up on his own. The eyes of... What does that mean? What would you think? How would you explain that to somebody? The eyes of your heart being enlightened. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know... We have a physical body and we have senses and abilities in our physical body. But you have a inner being, don't you? The real you is inside this physical body, and and the inside of you also has senses and abilities. Don't you? I mean there's some spiritual things going there's some soul spiritual kind of things that are inside of you. Our problem is that we tend to be dominated by what it is we see, the physical and the feelings and, and all the other stuff that happens. We're sometimes some just overwhelmed by all the physical kind of things. And now Paul comes along and says, I'm praying that you will be enlightened, that you'll have eyes of the heart. And then you realize, oh yeah, I have a heart. It's a chooser. It's a sensor. It's a... It's the center control part of who I am. It is related to my brain and my thinking, but it's different. And Jesus talked about the heart as being the primary motivation. And Paul is saying, now I'm praying that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And, and that implies, if you need to be enlightened, that you've been darkened, right? In the next chapter, he's going to say we were dead in our trespasses, our transgressions and sin. That's an interesting idea, dead. So now we need to be enlightened. How difficult is it to grasp a hold of these things that he said in chapter 1, verse 3 to 14, that we are predestined and that we're chosen and that we're called and that we're forgiven and that, that he had loved us before we were born. And I mean, this is boggling kind of stuff. We try to figure it out intellectually, but, but does it change you? Does it change your heart? Does it Does it trip something in you where you think, Whoa! If he did that, what does it say to me about who he is? And when I'm going through life, and I've got this happen, and that happen, and this and, and that, and all those kind of things, and I'm hurt, and I'm I'm a little fearful, and I'm in, uncertain, and then this and it looks bad, and or should that should these things matter? And Paul is saying, oh, this is the foundation, my brother and sisters. This is the thing that God must do in you and for you to enlighten your heart so that when you go through life and these things happen you will stand because god enables you to stand and you will then you will know okay i may die but i'm in christ hmm in fact when i die it's really great hmm really you have trouble, you have difficulty grasping what Paul said in verses 3 through 14 about these things, these spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. What? You have trouble gra- If you have trouble grasping that, what do you do? What should we do? Well, we can study more. We can try to, you know, parse the Greek. You know, and we can figure out, we can learn more about it and we can look at it in different versions and we can really ponder it and we can spend a long time in it. And What should we do? my friends we should pray we should you should pray for yourself if you don't get this in verses three through fourteen if this doesn't now, now i'm not say, saying you get it all because nobody gets it all but if it doesn't trip your heart up and say, make you think wow god has done things for me that i had no idea and he's doing things and and, and i have this immense security and love and then he, he's doing it with other people and if this doesn't do something for you, I, I pray that you will pray. Your heart will be enlightened, that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened, that something will happen in you so that you will, in my phrase again, get it. Because you so need to get it. And I do too. And this is what changes life. So When we understand what the grace of God, this incredible flow of the grace of God that has done things for us that we cannot even unravel nor understand. All we can do is receive and delight in it and say, thank you, my father. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened so that you may know. Look at verse 18, the hope to which he has called you, the hope now, faith, love and hope. What is hope? The world uses hope in the idea of being an uncertain wishing. Gee, I sure hope that happens. Not the biblical definition of hope. The biblical definition of hope is a faith in a certainty that is future. Someone said, hope is faith standing on tiptoe, looking over the fence and looking at what's coming, right? Faith is that is that forward or hope is that forward look of faith. Hope is that standing on tip of waiting for God to do and anticipating and confident because of what God has already done before we were born, before he created the world and in our own life. And now we have this hope and we call it a hope, not because we hope it's going to happen, but it's a hope because we don't have it all yet. And so we have this hope, this confidence in God. It's really faith in the future. A faith that is a future thing. He says, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened in order that you may know. Look at this. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Inheritance. You ever got an inheritance? How great is that, right? Somebody left you some money or something, right? An inheritance. Christ got the inheritance didn't he he got it all right he's the lord of all he gets the whole inheritance the father said everything is yours because of what who you are and what you've done i give it all to you you receive all the inheritance every blessing of god is found in christ it is given to christ and then paul says and you by the work of the grace of god in the new birth through hearing and believing the gospel you remember you remember you have now been placed in Christ And so if you are placed in Christ And Christ has the whole inheritance Then guess what? Yes, Right? What is it? We get it too, right? Why do we get it? Because we go to church Because you believe some stuff about God because you are so good (laughs) because you somehow are earning this as we go along it's grace an inheritance it belongs to christ it's all his and now we by a new creative work of god new creation in christ You are placed in Him. I didn't do anything to get in Him. Did I? Well, I heard and believed the gospel. And He placed me in Christ. He didn't just forgive my sin. I remember the day when I finally began to realize, when the eyes of my heart were enlightened, I began to understand that it's way more than forgiveness. I used to think it was all about forgiveness. I just wanted to not go to hell. Right? That was the big deal. Escape hell. Which is good, right? <laughs> Sufficient motivation to flee to Christ all by itself. And that's the only one I had in that day. And then now I know something about how beautiful He is. And how God had done something in me that I didn't even understand how he took away an old man that was so dominated by sin. I still sin, ask my wife. But he took away this oldness and gave me a newness of placing me in his son so that I'm a new creation in Christ. A new creation in Christ. In Christ. After a while you begin to think these two words, in Christ, are significant. And, and Paul uses that 164 times. In Christ, in the beloved, in the one he loves, in him, in him, in him. Not in church, or in the Bible, or in my friends, but in him. And because in him, then church and Bible and friends mean everything else. I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened, so that you may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. Power. Power. You believe God has power? Yeah, so do I. A lot of people believe God has power. Almost everybody believes that there is a God. He's a powerful God. If he created this, if the first verse is true, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, then he must have power. He must be a powerful God. If there is a God, I think there is. He must be powerful. Hmm. Is that it? Oh, it's one thing to believe that God is powerful. It's another thing to believe the two words that follow the word power. Do you see it? What are the two words? For us. For us. us. His incomparably great power for us who believe. Do you believe? Who's the us? It's us, my friend. Right you believe you're in the us. So do you believe you're in the us. You got the incomparably great power There's the rub isn't it? What's with that? I think there could be power and sometimes he gives power but Occasionally powerful experiences most of the time not so much So what should the Christian life be like? What is this power for us? And Paul really emphasizes the word power here. The Greek scholars say he uses four or five different words for the word power. He just, in fact, they say he exhausts the Greek dictionary trying to find power words. They're translated in English, power, working, strength, might, all those kind of words... Paul is saying there is a divine power that's available to you. It's just fascinating that, as far as I can tell, Paul doesn't primarily pray that you would get more power. Which is interesting, isn't it? I pray for power for me. I don't, Lord, I don't want power. I pray for power for other people. Paul primarily doesn't pray for pow- more power. For. What he does is he prays that you will experience the power that is already yours. That something will happen in your life where your eyes of your heart will be enlightened and you will know His incomparably great power for us who believe that this is something that God has already given. This is part of the river of grace. This is what God will do in our life if we will believe Him. The problem for me is not believing that God is powerful. The problem for me is believing that God will be powerful in my life now. Are you with me? And that's, that's what we need, right? That's what we need when we go home, when we go to work, when we sit down with somebody we love, when we sit down with somebody we don't love, when we go to church. We need, we need the power. And his, and the Bible seems to indicate that His grace supplies what we need all the time. He, Paul would agree with Peter that you've been given everything that we, you need for life and godliness. Really? is not a prayer asking God for more power. It, what it is is a prayer that you will experience that you will know the power know with the idea of being of an experiential relational kind of knowing that you won't just not know that there is it's one thing to know that there's power available. it's a whole another experience for us to actually experience the power. So how do you? Hmm, it's in Christ Jesus said. Acts one you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He says in Philippians two twelve and 13, it is God who works in you to will and to work for his good purpose. He will say in chapter 3 of verse 20 of Ephesians, this incredible prayer, at the end of chapter 3, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we asked or imagined. You remember those verses? According to his power that is at work with us in us or in us, in us when in us now. now you, you, if you're like me, you're thinking, yeah, not so powerful. What what do we do? What do we do? We work for more power. Is that how you get more powerful? Work harder? Not that you don't have to work harder, right? I mean, sometimes God wants us to work harder. You know that, right? So if you're sitting around, work harder. But how do you experience the power of God in ordinary life, at home, in your relationships, at work, with your children, when you're when you're trying to when you're when you want to be more bold to talk about anybody would like to talk about Jesus more than we do, or we're just like afraid. We're not like afraid. We're afraid. We're intimidated by people. They might reject us. You ever pray for power for witnessing? Boldness. We call it boldness. Anybody? What's the deal with the power thing? How do you get more power? You pray for God to give you something I don't have? Is that it? Is it God withholding from you what you really need to live for him? He's saying, I'm giving it to other people, but I'm not giving it to you. <laughs> You're a bad Christian, so you get no power. <laughs> you haven't been to church enough, so no power for you. You don't read your Bible enough, so no power for you. Who's got the power? Jesus has got a lot of power. If we were in Christ, we'd have power. Wouldn't we? We'd have His power. So maybe the question is not so much that God is withholding from us as much as we've got something that we're not using because maybe we don't believe it or get it or remember or trust or act you ever do this where you just know that God wants you to do something and you feel absolutely weak in doing it and you and it and, but then you say okay I will obey you I'm gonna get my foot out of the boat Oh, I'm, and you do that and then God gives you what you need and you look back and you say wow this happened to you and you realize the power was given in the obedience in the believing in the stepping in the praying Turn your note sheet over. Oh, listen faster. (laughs) Now Paul gives a description of the magnitude of God's power. You can't talk about the the power of God without talking about the greatness, the magnitude, the depth, the immensity of the power of God. Notice the words again, for us. This power is like the working of His mighty strength which He exerted in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. God's power is in the fact that He raised Christ from the dead. Why did he raise Christ from the dead? Was it just that he said I don't want my son to be dead? What does the resurrection do? The resurre- the resurrection of Jesus Christ is is at least three huge things. One is is that the re- the raising of Jesus Christ from the dead is the stamp of of approval of Almighty God, the God of justice and holiness. It is like God the Father saying, this sacrifice is sufficient. I, I ratify, if you will, I accept this sacrifice of my son as sufficient by raising him from the dead. So if the forgiveness that he has earned by his own effort and his own sacrifice is a sufficient sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sins. It is affirmed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Another thing that the resurrection, the raising of Jesus Christ from, from the dead accomplishes, it reveals the incredible power of God. And that's what Paul's referring to here. The incredible power of God. Nobody raises dead people. I mean, one of, if you've been close to death, you know how incredibly powerful it is. In fact, there are two great enemies that we face that try to defeat us again and again and again. What are they? Death. And sin. Sin and death. The wages of sin is death. You say, well you're talking about physically dying? Yeah, but there's all kinds of death, isn't there? I mean we experience death all the time. Death of relationship, death of hope, death of dreams, death of joy, death of I mean death is constantly there and it's always related somehow to transgression, to sin these two great enemies these two things that just defeat us can defeat us, have defeated us and will defeat us again unless something happens Jesus Christ death and burial and resurrection defeated sin and death for you so you don't have to worry about sin anymore Let me say that again. You don't have to worry about sin anymore. You say, but I'm still sinning. Yeah, but you don't have to worry about sin anymore. I'd say, you don't have to worry about sin anymore. Stop it, but you don't have to worry about sin anymore. And the Bible says that to us, right? Forgiven. Stop it, but... Right? And you say, well, I'm going to die. Yeah, you are. Get over it. Right? (laughs) Go through it. It will be your greatest victory. It will be the ultimate triumph for you. You will finish your race, and you will open your eyes, and you will say, it's done. And it will all be because Jesus died and was buried and raised again, which leads to the third reason for the resurrection, because Jesus rose from the dead. Guess what? We get to rise from the dead. So the resurrection is all about him and demonstrating his power and and him certifying that the sacrifice is sufficient and a promise to us that you, too, will rise from the dead. This is God's great strength exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Then the next thing is verse 20 and 21. Christ is enthroned above all things. He is and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. That's a quote right out of of Psalm 110, verse 1. The most quoted verse in the New Testament from the Old Testament is Psalm 110, verse 1. Where it says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies the footstool of your feet. Jesus used it to talk to the Pharisees about who he was. The Lord said to my Lord. They went, The Lord said to him, what does that mean? Study it and you'll know exactly what he meant. So here is now Paul saying he seated him at his right hand. That's a place of authority. That's a place of power. That's the place of honor. That's the place that only the, the greatest power receives is to be able to sit at his right hand. And notice the words far above all. Notice these words rule and authority, power and dominion and every title or literally every name that can be given. Many Bible scholars think that these are levels of evil forces. I don't know if it's true or not. But Paul is saying, look, every single power, every single ability, every rule, every authority, he will talk about it more in, in later in Ephesians and talk about how our war, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against things like this. And now Paul is saying here in chapter 1, Jesus Christ rules supreme over every power. And these people, the Ephesians, would have said, oh, yeah. Because here, here's people that would have, they would have believed in different gods, good gods and bad gods. They would have believed in the reality of demons. They would have had experiences with some demons. They were steeped in witchcraft and sorcery. They were people into astrology, looking at the stars to understand what it is that we do. They believed in curses. They w- wore things around their necks. I mean, they put things in their home. They were frightened people about all kinds of powers. And now Paul is saying, look, far above every rule and authority and power, Everything that's ever been named, anything that ever will be named now in this age and in the age to come, Jesus Christ rules supreme. Do you believe this? That there is no power greater than Christ? What do you believe about the Son of God? Do you believe He's sitting at the right hand of the Father now and every single power is under His feet? You say, but they're running free, aren't they? Not totally. And one day He's going to clean it up, remember? Remember? Paul will say, in that day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is, what's the word? Lord, Lord, to the glory of God the Father. He's going to wrap this up, but he still now rules supreme. The issue then is, should you be afraid of anything? Mm. Well, we've been hurt, so we're afraid of that. But should you be afraid of any power? Whatever powers that exist or will ever exist are subject to Christ. And Paul will say later in this letter, So be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Then, third thing in your notes, Christ has appointed head over everything for the church. It was for us and now it's for the church. Who's the church? That would be us. So he's appointed head over everything for the church. God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his, what's the word? Body. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Paul says he's the head and we are the body. It's a great illustration, a great metaphor. It's the head that commands the body, right? It's the body that lives out the purpose of the head. That the life of the head is lived through the body. And and the body responds to the commands of the head And in a physical way Anytime that our body doesn't respond to the commands of the head Then something's wrong We know that there's a flaw here somewhere So in the spiritual realm He is the head And Paul is saying Do you know that you have been given the king of kings? Do you know that you've been given the head of all things? Do you know that he is the head of the church? You don't have to worry about the church He's going to take care of his church And we are his church and we are in him and he is the fullness of him who fills everything in every way so the bible says to us he is the son and we are the inheritance he is the groom and we are the bride he's the vine and we are the branches he's the lord and we are the servants he's the savior and and, and we are the saved He's the cornerstone, and we're the building. He's the Lord, and we are His people. And the pictures go on and on and on to try to help us understand who we are. One of the old Puritans said, Miss Christ, and you miss all. Miss Christ, and you miss all. My friends, we do not have a religion We have Christ. How incredible is that? Will you remember it this week? Will you know it this week? Will you see yourself differently this week? Will you see yourself as just a victim of what's going on in life? Will you walk through life and be afraid of what now will happen or what is happening? Will you be overcome? Will you be overcome and beaten down and defeated by the circumstances of life, the fears, the uncertainty? Is that the kind of people that Jesus... Is this it? Is this all there is? My friends, Paul is saying, Oh, do you know who you are? Not because of what you have done, but because of what He has done for you. Do you know who you are? And do you know where you are? And do you know what He has given to you? Do you know? Do you get it? Are the eyes of your heart enlightened so that you know? So that whatever is going to happen today and tomorrow is wrapped up in who it is you already are in Christ. Are you a believer? Is this written for us, you? Are you a part of the church? Are you part of the body? Are you in Christ? Are you? Let us pray for each other for this. I want to say to you, if you don't get this, if you, if you go back again to verse 3 through 14, you go, oh man, I do not get this. What do you do? You say, God, will you show it to me? Will you help me? Will you enlighten my heart? And you pray for each other like this. And when you get together in your small groups, you lay aside Aunt Matilda's cat for a few minutes, and you pray for each other that God would transform your heart, that He would enlighten you. So that you will know. I'm sorry I said that about the cat. That's stupid. I know you don't pray like that. But let's pray for the most crucial things. That's what I'm trying to say. Will you forgive me for that? Okay, let's pray. I'm done. Sometimes the mouth just goes ahead of the brain, you know? Mm-hmm. Father, will you help us now? If we could use your help right now. At this moment, we pray that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened so that we can say, I see, I see. I get some of it, I get some of it. The Spirit of God is revealing it to me. I see it, I see what He's done, I see what He is doing, I see what He will yet do. I feel forgiven. I'm seeing that I'm adopted and redeemed, that He chose me. I see that I heard and believed the good news. And I want other people to hear and believe the good news. Father, I need to be enlightened. I need you to do the work that only the Spirit of God can do in me. So that I more and more can be the kind of child you want me to be. That more and more the glory of God will be seen in his people. And that the troubles of this life will be overcome by the power of the resurrected Christ who lives in us. At this very moment now we need help. We need the eyes of our heart to be enlightened while we take a piece of bread and a cup again. Father, may this not be another little ritual we do before we go have lunch. But may it be a time when we gather around you and your great grace and we remember that he came and people touched him and loved him and fell on his neck and touched his hands and, and they saw him bleed and die. And he did it for us. And you raised him from the dead. Let this be a time of worship, we ask in His name. Amen.